Thank you, Allison and the praise band. I truly appreciated uh, your choice of the praise music this morning, uh, especially this last, um, what, what is it called? Speak, O Lord, because that is exactly what we should always be doing to prepare our hearts to receive. And we may not realize it, but there's a lot of unbelief in us where we don't have the purest of faith. And when we don't have the purest of faith, it gets muddled and we don't do anything with it. And so I'm going to begin by praying right now for us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name and worship you. And and Lord, sometimes we have unbelief that we're not even conscious of because we're so impacted by the modern Western worldview, which would have us either ignore or deny the reality of the spirit realm that your word has so much to teach us about. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. And we bind all unbelief that that we're so accustomed to because we live in an unbelieving culture. And we pray, Lord, that faith would be released, that we would see with new eyes this morning as we look to your word, and that we would be people of purified faith, strong faith, so that we can pray boldly and make a difference in our lost and hurting world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by uh, thanking Chuck and for the congregation. You, you thanked me, but I want to thank you for the opportunity to come back here to North Holland uh, Reformed Church. This congregation is dear to my wife and to me and to our seven children. When we were missionaries uh, serving all those years in Estonia and then uh, eight and a half more in Bahrain in the Middle East, Uh, we would do the circuit. But we always looked forward to coming back to this congregation because you were so warm in welcoming us. And you always took an interest in us as a family. And we always appreciated that uh, just tremendously. We've come to have some dear friends in this congregation, so it's always a privilege to come back here. And I'm happy to share the word this morning I'm sorry for the reason, and we will pray for for Pastor Stephen and for Caitlin to uh, have a full recovery from whatever virus this is, whether it's, well, in Caitlin's case, it is COVID for sure. Uh, But we are trusting that the Lord will bring healing and raise them both up. Just so that you uh, are aware, uh, I'm presently serving half-time as pastor of prayer and discipleship in the Hopkins Community Church, where I began 
um, 30 years ago. And uh, happy to be there. It's good to be among uh, friends, as well as the fact that there's a lot of turnover and there's a lot of new people as well. But uh, they sent us out 25 years ago when we served in uh, Estonia and in Bahrain. My position as the RCA coordinator for prayer mobilization actually came to an end about one month ago uh, due to budget cuts. And so Beth and I are in a little bit of transition. But we reside in a condo, a modest condo in Hudsonville, and are really grateful to be back in this area. Uh, Four of our seven children live in this area. And most importantly, our four grandchildren live 28 minutes from us uh, indoor. And we're happy to have time with our, our three granddaughters and our first grandson who was born to us six months ago, Asa. And we are enjoying him tremendously. So we're, we're glad to be back in the area. What am I doing with our, the other half? Uh, we have established our own 501c3 ministry, and I'm presently in the process of setting up uh, some mission projects for 2021 that uh, I'm excited about. Uh, They will involve, hopefully, uh, travel will be possible to Nepal and India, and uh, also to South Sudan, possibly in Uganda. So that's all materializing, and if you would uh, be kind enough to pray uh, we are, it's a faith mission venture. Uh, we're trusting the Lord for the finances. Uh, we're no longer in the RCA Global Mission Service structure. So it's a, it's a new opportunity to grow faith muscles, if you will. Uh, but we're confident because the Lord has always provided for our needs and we know He will. One of the things that we've done recently in Hopkins is because of this year, 2020, we thought we, 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 we want to get a 2020 vision for what the congregation should be doing local mission-wise. How many of you in, on January 1st, 2020, could have ever imagined that we would have this kind of a year? That's what I thought. This has been a very, very strange season indeed. Recently, we have, we have worked on developing a clearer mission statement so that we know exactly what we want to be about. And in that process, four values were raised up, and I want to share two of those with you this morning. The first one briefly, and the second one in more detail. Because I believe that they are foundational for any congregation. The first is absolute truth. Friends, our faith is based on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ and His Holy Word, as revealed in the Old and New Testament Scriptures. We are living in a day and age where we are told that all truth is relative, and we can't be sure of anything. But friends, that is a lie out of the pit of hell. We can base our lives on the authority of the truths of God's Word and on the sure foundation of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I believe every word of this book. I've read it cover to cover 
It's consistent. It provides us a proper understanding of what I call a biblical worldview. I believe we are living in a day and age where the, where the body of Christ needs to rediscover the biblical worldview and realize that the prevailing Western worldview, which has been secularized, which focuses only on the physical and material reality and tends to ignore the spirit realm, therefore leaving the church unable to cope with spiritual warfare because we're really at our core not even believing these things. Something's amiss. We need to return to a biblical worldview. The other is just inadequate. It's just, it's a half-truth, in a sense. Now, I, I believe every word of it, and it's not a blind leap of faith. It's not because some church council has decided it for us. But it's because Jesus, our Lord and Savior, had full confidence in the Word of God Himself. And He recognized, He used it as an effective spiritual weapon against our arch enemy, the devil, Satan. And that's how He overcame the temptations of the enemy, and that's how we overcome the temptations of the enemy and His attacks. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall never pass away. Jesus also made the point, John 10, 35, that the scriptures cannot be broken. So, friends, this book is like the owner's manual in a sense. This is how we learn how to do ministry. This is how we learn how to live. This is what we put our confidence in, and we call it absolute truth. It's always true. It's true whether it feels true or not. It is true. The Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy, who, who was a young pastor in Ephesus, he says this, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All Scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Apostle Peter, he said this in his second letter, 2 Peter 1, 19-21. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, the Holy Spirit came upon the writers of Scripture in such a way that they honored their style of writing, they honored their personality, but they came on them in such a way as to make sure that 
what was what the revelation was being given would be communicated in an accurate way. Now, it's a mystery as to how that all worked, but it is very clear that this is so. And so I ask you, is Scripture, was it authored by God or was it authored by human beings, by men? How many of you would say it was, it's authored by God? It's good. How many of you would say it's authored by human beings? No hands. Well, the truth is, it's a trick question. It's both. God would come upon the human writers. He would still honor their personality. It was still in a certain context. They had choices to make. In, in a sense, it was a mutual work. But the Holy Spirit came upon those writers of Scripture in such a way that we can be sure we have a totally trustworthy text. Friend, I believe this from front to cover. I believe every word of it. I don't understand all of it. There are some mysteries here. But I accept it because it's the Word of God, just as Jesus did. George Ladd says the word, the Bible is the word of God written in the words of men in history. It's not dictation, but it is entirely trustworthy. And as such, it's the basis of absolute truth. And friends, that's good news. In a day and age, when you have the kind of crazy situation that we're in, we're, we are in a crazy day politically, are we not? Depends upon your political affiliation as to how you're even viewing life. We need to go back to the truths of God's Word. That's our basis for truth. The second is Holy Spirit power. As individuals and as a church, we should always have a growing desire to be led by the same Holy Spirit who came upon those writers of Scripture and gave us the Word. That same Holy Spirit lives in us if we're born again of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the key to effective kingdom ministry. Now hear this. The kingdom ministry that Jesus did 2,000 years ago is the same kingdom ministry that Jesus wants to do through us, the body of Christ. It's the same ministry. It hasn't changed at all. Jesus chose 12 men. He did life and ministry up close with them so that when he would return to the Father one day, they would know how to do the ministry and they would be able to preach and teach and show the, 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 the whole church how to go about doing Jesus' kingdom ministry. Now that is why, after Jesus spent three to three and a half years up close with these men, and after Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, and appeared to these men, he spent, well, he spent quite a, he spent a, about a month with them on and off. And he said, just before he ascended to heaven, this is what he said, don't get started. I want you to go and make disciples 
of all people groups, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. But before you actually go and do that, I want you to wait. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, the promise of my Father. Acts 1, verse 4. While Jesus was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why? Why was it important? Hear the word, um, verse 8. But you will receive power, power, dunamis, like dynamite. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, the question is, what makes up Jesus' kingdom ministry? It always involves two main things. Okay? Proclaiming the presence and the reality the inbreaking of the kingdom. Proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he did that through teaching, he did that through preaching, he did that through sharing parables, and demonstrating the reality that the kingdom of God has come. In other words, show and tell, or tell and show, in a sense. Now, (laughs) What did he proclaim? He proclaimed that our God reigns. The Jews of Jesus' day would have understood that they were living in a, in a, in a present and a dark age. It was an age under the influence, under the control of the evil one. That's why there was so much sickness. That's why there were people demonized. And Jesus comes along and he says, The kingdom of God is come. And then he demonstrated it by casting out demons and by healing the sick. It, it, it always involved those two elements. Tell and show or show and tell. How many of you remember elementary school, the show and tell? I can, I can remember as a little child in the 60s, it's going to age me, I, I, would, I would bring something like a model airplane to show them, and then I would explain that there was another hijacking to Cuba. Do you remember those, those of you who are old, as old as me in the late 60s? It seems like there were every week one of the flights was being hijacked to Cuba. And that was my show and tell. Well, Jesus did the same thing in kingdom ministry. He would... Show them the reality of the inbreaking kingdom, that the that those who were sick would be healed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he would proclaim and say, The kingdom of God is near. And so the with Jesus' ministry, the kingdom was breaking in. And now we're living in, in between the times. It's already come in the ministry of Jesus, but we know it isn't fully here until he returns at the end of the age. 
We're sort of living between the beginning of it and the fulfillment or the consummation of it. The already and not yet nature of the kingdom of God. But Jesus' kingdom ministry is important. Sometimes the order is reversed. Sometimes it's show and tell. Other times it's tell and show. Matthew 10, verse 1. Jesus calls the 12 disciples to him, and he gives them authority. He says, Jesus called his 12 to him and gave the authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every sickness and disease. Verse 7, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near you. Eight, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. And that's what Jesus did. Now some of you are thinking, yeah, but that was just for the twelve, right? The twelve apostles. No, it isn't just for the twelve. Although, he started with the twelve. Luke 9, 1 and 2. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. There it is again. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. There it is. The pattern is the same. But was it only for the twelve? And some would say, well, it's only for clergy, and it's only for pastors, or it's only for the big evangelists. No, that's not the case. Because a chapter later is our passage in Luke 10. Luke 10, and that's our passage for today. After this, Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two, ahead of him to every town and place where Jesus was about to go. Seventy-two others, friends. They weren't just the apostles. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Starting point of all ministry is prayer. It really is. And so Jesus is making it really clear. We need more workers. So ask the Lord of the harvest. Lord, would you raise up more workers for the harvest field to go and get the kingdom work done? Verse 3, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. What does Jesus mean? It means there's going to be opposition But we're going to go out like vulnerable lambs. There's spiritual predators out there. But we don't need to fear it because he's going to give us authority, his authority, to actually do kingdom ministry. Are you following along in Luke 10? I want you to see this because there's so much here. When you enter, okay, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Verse 4, do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When the Lord gives a task, don't get distracted. Go and do the kingdom ministry he's appointed you to do. 
5. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. I remember when we were on the mission field in Estonia, we started a ministry in, in a village that was it'd be 16 kilometers away or 10 miles away from where we lived in Elva, a little town called Anikoru. And the Elva Baptist Church that we worked closely with, we decided, what are we going to do to plant a new ministry in Anikoru? Well, what we did is we, we knew one person in that town, and she was very, very, she was what I would call a person of peace. Her name was Rosie. And, and Rosie was an elderly woman, and she invited us to come. And why don't you just come and we could pray for the village, and why don't we start with that? And so we did. We ended up raising up a prayer ministry that turned into a Bible study that turned into people in the village coming to know Jesus. And then pretty soon, those ladies that were meeting with Rosie and with uh, Pastor Peter, Tom, and me, then after a while they said, there's nothing for the youth in our village. Could, could you meet with the youth? And we started meeting with the youth, and pretty soon we had a youth cell developing. But it was always in Rosie's flat or apartment because the community trusted her. She was our person of peace. We didn't need to move around house to house. We stayed right there. And this is all that Jesus is saying. He's just giving instructions on how to go about doing, expanding the ministry. And it, it's so accurate. Uh, verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. And we always did, by the way. Uh, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. There it is again. Show and tell. Demonstrate that the kingdom of God, that our God does reign, that he's more powerful than the evil one, and proclaim it. The kingdom of God has come. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. That was the hometown of Peter and Andrew and uh, James and John, the fishermen. They were right there on the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. 
Why? Because the message, even though the Lord was basing there and did so many miracles there, they weren't responding to the good news of the kingdom. The the desired response is always repentance. It's saying, Lord, you're right. I choose to follow you. Where that does not happen, judgment awaits. The reality of it is, we are not responsible for how people will respond, but we are responsible to share the good news of the kingdom. We can't worry about how they're going to respond. And sometimes they respond wonderfully, positively. And other times they will reject. But that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to do the kingdom ministry of Jesus. And that's what we need to do. Going on. Whoever listens to you, Jesus says, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. In other words, it's a rejection of Jesus. It's a rejection also of God the Father who sent him. It's very serious. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I want us to see this morning that Jesus gives us authority. Just before Jesus, after Jesus arose, just before he ascended, what did he say? All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, of all the people groups. But he chooses to delegate his authority to us. He, he, he delegated the authority to the 12, then he delegated the authority to the 72, and he chooses to delegate the authority to you and me to do kingdom ministry today. I believe that Satan does everything in his power to cloud that. He does not want us to understand our authority, and he does not want us to understand the great commission he's given us to actually do it right where we are. Unbelief in the form of like the secular Western worldview I've talked about, which would tend to ignore angels and their reality and ignore demons or fallen angels and powers and principalities. Friends, it's real. It's not a figment of Jesus' imagination. And it's not because Jesus had a wrong worldview. Jesus had the right worldview. We're the ones with the wrong worldview. And I, I know that this is, a, this is one of those difficult things to swallow. 
Because I graduated 30 years, 32 years ago from Western Theological Seminary, and my professors didn't believe this. They didn't believe it then, and I don't know how many of them believe it now. They, they choose instead to believe that, quote and unquote, what did, what, what, what is, how did the professor put it? I don't believe in a, personify, a personification of evil. So you're saying Jesus is wrong? He has a wrong understanding of things? I don't think so. We're the ones with the wrong understanding of things. And we need to align ourselves with the absolute truth of God's word. It's a hard pill to swallow if, if, we, if we are believing what are, what's predominant thinking in our society. And yet, here we have it. All kinds of people dabbling in the spirit realm on the dark side of things. And they're getting demonized. They're inviting demons without even recognizing it. And it affects their lives. It affects their families. They come to the church, and can we help them? Well, we're commissioned to help them. Jesus came to set the captives free. And I've seen deliverance ministry up close. And I've seen people get free and then commit their lives to Jesus. Instead, we've got people dabbling, becoming demonized. And then they come to Christians for help. And we're powerless because we're believing, we're in unbelief in these things. It's very convicting. And I know because according to George Barna, the vast majority of believers in churches in the USA aren't believing these things anymore. And so I really challenge us, I challenge us all with this. Let's get back to the truths of Scripture and let's learn how to do Jesus' kingdom ministry today. Unbelief is a big target of the enemy, and the other is fear. I, there are people that will come to me and they'll say, Pastor Jim, this stuff literally scares the hell out of me. I say, Well, it can be messy, but we don't need to be afraid because the Lord is much more powerful than Satan and all the rulers and powers and principalities and any demons that come at any of us. He's so much more powerful. Greater is he who is in us, the Holy Spirit, than he who is in the world. But we need to understand our authority and learn to operate in it, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this in our own strength, but we can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, such a great thing when we do operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I realize I'm running out of time here. <laughs> power evangelism, it's like seeing is believing. I close with a story. When we were in Bahrain, I, I pastored a large international church there, had the privilege of being the senior pastor of the English language congregation of the National Evangelical Church. And our congregation had 
400 to 500 believers, and they came from like 40 different nations. We had a good number of Filipinos, and one of our members, Jane, was a follower of Jesus, but she was married to Ibrahim, a wealthy Bahraini Muslim. The couple had just one child named Jacob, which in Arabic is the equivalent to Jacob. And one day this one day their son Jacob, 14 years old, did what 14-year-olds do, messing around with a butane lighter and with his friends, and it blew up in his face. And he was burnt on his head, on his face, on his neck. Very, very serious wounds. He had a fever, and the doctors weren't sure whether he was even going to live. Jane and and, and our house of prayer, prayer warriors, joined them in praying that Jesus would come and heal Jacob. I felt strongly that I should go to the hospital, and if Ibrahim, the Muslim father, agreed, because he has the right authority over his son and over his family, if he agrees that I would pray in Jesus' name, I would come and do it. Ibrahim was heartsick. He said, he's my only son. Yes, please, come and pray. So I went there, and against all protocol, uh, I anointed Jacob with oil. And I asked Jesus to come and heal him. And I proclaimed healing in the mighty name of Jesus. And then I left. I left in peace, knowing that I had done what the Lord wanted me to do. Jane, his mother, started praising God and thanking the Lord for the healing. But when I left, Jacob was still unconscious. The next morning, I receive a phone call. Jacob is awake. Jacob is talking. Jacob has charred skin falling off, and there's fresh baby skin underneath, and the fever is gone. Indeed, Jesus had healed Jacob. And we just praise God for that. Do you know what that meant to his father? His father said, I want your house of prayer to come and use our large house. Anytime you want to come, you come and pray. He welcomed us with open arms. And now that group is still meeting and they're praying for Ibrahim, for his eyes to be open to the fullness of Jesus And we're believing that one day he's going to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. And that will be the greater miracle, friends. Show and tell. It opens eyes. It pushes back the forces of darkness and manifests the kingdom of God. Friends, we need... Congregations that are word and spirit congregations. We know, how, we know the power of the Holy Spirit. We have confidence in the truth of God's word. And we do the kingdom ministry of Jesus in Jesus' mighty name, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we will see Jesus set captives free. And we will see people healed. And they will want to know Who is this God who is so powerful? 
that you proclaim. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus' kingdom ministry. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that we would be word and spirit congregations right here. Also, Father, we pray for the churches throughout the RCA and the churches here in the Western world. Lord, that we would rediscover the truths of your word and operate from a more biblical worldview. Help us, Lord, to move forward in these days because there's so much ministry that needs to be done in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.